Hi, welcome to the Midtown Vineyard Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us online. For daily encouragement, events, service times, and more, check out our website and social media. And now, this week's message. And the truth is, we've barely encountered all that God has stored up in his heart for us that we might experience the fullness of life he's created every one of us to live. Look at the second half of verse 11. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Joshua was fine. He was saying, this is where God's choosing to dwell right now. We're in the Old Testament. God dwells in places. He's like, if God's here, I'm here. You know, Moses did his thing, and Joshua's like, I'm good. And, and God became his pursuit. God became his satisfaction. God became his all-consuming passion. May we have a heart like Joshua that just lingers in the presence of the Lord. And may, may, may it's important to note that Joshua is the one that led two million Hebrews into the promised land. And we've lo- been looking at these Old Testament Bible characters all year long, and there's a connection with every single one of them and the things that God had called them to do, and the life of God that he had built in them throughout their time as they learned to walk with God. They learned faithfulness and obedience, and like Joshua, they learned to linger in the presence of the Lord. And you know very well, as Joshua was a young man, God was blessing him and filling him and anointing him and empowering him and preparing him. There's a connection between what God has called these Old Testament characters to do and how they learn to walk with God. But they're just ordinary people. Tommy did a great job last week of pointing out how ordinary Moses was. And you know what? God wants to bless us and use us just like all these characters we've been looking at. Jesus is the same today, yesterday and forever. Hebrews 13, 5. He wants to bless us the same. He hasn't gotten any better in learning how to God people. And everything we've been learning this entire year applies to us today. So Moses learned how to be at home with God and be comfortable in his presence. So let's see what happens next in verse 12 through 13. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. For the sake of time, I'm not going to spend a lot of emphasis on this section, but we can see here that there's some characteristics and qualities that God has been fashioning in the life of Moses. He's about 120 years old at this point. He dies shortly after this chapter, but we see that through his journey of walking with God, that God has created this intimacy, this companionship, this friendship. It says that God knew him by name. God, of course, knows everyone by name, but the implication is there's this depth of experience that Moses and God had that you and I can have just as well. And because of that, there's favor on his life. There's favor in all he does, that that God was pleased and poured out his blessings and so many things. But there's one one thing that Moses is still hungry for. He asked to learn God's ways in this section. And, you know, that's the difference between Moses and the people of Israel. 
Psalm 103.7 reads that God made his ways known to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. God blessed the people of Israel. That's the difference. The people of Israel never understood God's ways. They simply responded to what they observed. They saw this pillar of cloud. I guess we're supposed to go through the Red Sea. This bread showed up on the ground. I guess this is, this is lunch. And whatever they saw God did, they, that, that was their response. And, and, you know, that's okay. That's where they were. God was good to them. He blessed them. He provided them. But Moses learned how God worked in his life. And he learned how God operated even in the lives of the Hebrew people. He didn't have to wait for something to happen to find out what God was up to or what he was supposed to do in his life. He learned how God worked. He learned how God ticked. And he was able to walk by faith knowing what God was up to. David, several centuries later, writes a similar idea in Psalm 25, verse 4. He says, show me your ways, Lord, and teach me your paths. God wants to show every single one of us here how he works in our lives, how he leads us. And it's just like any other relationship. After spending time with someone, you begin to learn how they think, what they like, what they dislike, how they feel, what's most important to them, and how they operate. And so it is with God. Like any other relationship, it comes from spending time with someone. Even more so, it comes from living in harmony with someone. And God is that someone that wants to reveal so much more of himself to you and I that we will experience the full life that we were created to experience in him. So are you thinking, preacher, you're saying you can know the mind of God? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, we have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit that lives within us searches out the deep things of God. So God responds in verse 14, and he says, the Lord replies, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I love this. God's saying, show me your ways. And Moses is saying, show me your ways, and God says, my presence will go with you, and you will have rest. His presence, if we have the presence of God, if we're experiencing God and are at rest, we have everything. So that begs the question, are you at rest? Are you truly at rest? No no matter what circumstances you may experience, no matter what comes your way, are you at rest or do you find yourself striving in your relationships, your, your job, your family, your finances, maybe some struggle that you're dealing with in, within your inner self? The truth is you can have 100% rest. The, and, and you know what? There's still things you and I need to do. We still need to work out the things in our life that God has called us to work out. But we can have 100% rest in the journey. That's the power of living in God's presence. When God is with you, not just the theological understanding that the Holy Spirit indwells the life of a follower of Christ, but a dynamic, practical relationship where we are experiencing God on a daily basis. He promises to give us rest. That's a gift of God which is unfortunately rare these days, yet it is made available in full 
to every one of us in Christ. So we see God's we see Moses' response to this in verses 15 through 17. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. So Moses is saying, there's nowhere I want to go. There's nothing I want to do apart from your presence. Now remember, Moses is in a different age. The Holy Spirit's not in him. He's on him. But he's saying, I don't want to go anywhere without you. I don't want to do anything without you. Now think about this. Moses is on the precipice of sending the Hebrew people into the promised land through Joshua. He's 120 years old. He's at the end of his life. He has been leading these people around the desert for 40 years. They've complained every step of the way. And you know, every night he went to bed saying, God, can we be in the promised land already? <laughs> and before that time, he spent 40 years in his personal desert as God was preparing him to be the man that God called him to be. And he knew about the promised land. He knew the prophecy given to Abraham 500 years ago. And he was like, man, I wish we could be in the promised land. And generations before that, Hebrew slaves were in slavery in Egypt 16 hours a day making bricks. They had to gather their own straw to make bricks. If they did not be meet their quota, they were beaten. And every single night they went to bed with their scars saying, I wish we were in the promised land. And Moses is on the precipice of a 500-year prophecy. And he says, if you're not with me, I don't even want to go there. What would cause Moses to say such a thing? I believe he had learned by experience that God's presence is better than life. Psalm 63, verse 1 through 3, we find, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. Moses learned by experience that the presence of God is better than life. Even the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey was not going to cut it if the presence of God was not with him. He was good. He was full. He was satisfied. He had all he needed in God. And as you and I grow closer to Jesus, a transition will begin to emerge in your life. That things that once seemed vital and essential to you will gradually seem less important in comparison to Christ. Jesus will become your everything. He will become your life. No longer will he be a part of your life along with so many other parts that makes up who you are today. But he will become everything to you. That's where this thing is headed. That's where God is taking all of us. That's the plan of salvation. It starts by trusting Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And it continues as we learn to walk in obedience 
as we learn to walk in faithfulness, as we become comfortable in his presence. And it culminates in a person desiring Christ alone and becoming like him. That's the culmination. We think heaven is the culmination. Heaven is a place. The culmination of the life of God in you right now is to be on that journey to where Christ is your everything. And in the process, we become more like him. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through, through 9 reads, Whatever was gained to me, I consider loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that is by faith in Christ. The Apostle Paul is saying, everything else, everything else in my life is a loss compared to knowing Jesus. That's where God is taking us. And Moses understood the presence of God is better than life. Secondly, Moses understood the presence of God signified God's pleasure to his people in his day. For he tells us in verse 16, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What Moses is saying here is that the presence of God signaled that God was pleased with him in his day. God loves everyone, but God is not necessarily pleased with everyone. He loves all 8 billion people on planet Earth today. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he loves everyone, but is not necessarily pleased with everyone. And as believers in Christ, we know God's love is always for us, and his love never fades. God cannot love us any more than he already has loved us because God is love, and he has made his love complete in us in Christ. We can, however, live lives that are more pleasing to God. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 says, live a life in order to please God and do this more and more. Now, Let's understand, our salvation has nothing to do with our actions. It's entirely about the action of Christ dying on the cross for our sins. 100% the work of Christ is what makes us right with God. So our salvation is unmovable, unshakable, unchangeable, and absolutely because it's all God. But our experience with God is connected to our actions. Especially in the day of Moses, this was huge because he was not indwelt by the Spirit of God. And in his day and in his time, the, the pleasure of God was signified by the presence that was with him. Now, how does this translate to us today? The Holy Spirit is always in us. When we are doing things that are displeasing to God, God doesn't leave us. He is always with us. Hebrews 13, 8 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When we are doing things that, are, that we're preoccupied with some other thing, or our, our life gradually becomes dull and cold, God does not leave us. We just are not as aware of God's presence at that time. Our spiritual senses are not as fine-tuned in that season to God in our midst. 
Now, it's not necessarily a cause and effect relationship. In my 20s, I was walking with God the best way I knew how. And there was a short season in my life that I did not really sense God. I couldn't see, I couldn't see him. I didn't experience him. And I later found out that other people had similar experiences. And it was during those times that God was building our faith. God was deepening roots because our experience does not drive our faith. Our faith drives our experience. Now, I've had other seasons in my life where I was outright living in rebellion against God. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus, I was living in intentional sin. And guess what? You guessed it. I didn't experience God that much during that time. But by and large, as a norm, when we're living well, we will experience God. That's how it worked in the day of Moses, that the, pl- the presence of God signified God's pleasure with him in that day. And so some of you would say, well, I don't really feel in that place right now. The good news is God wants to refresh you and I. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, we find the words, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and you may experience times of refreshing in the Lord. Now, that applies to people coming to faith in Christ initially, but it also applies to us as people walking with God that we, we grow cold, we, we, we slip, and, 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 and we have this mechanism that God created that if we will turn back to God, he will remove what has disconnected us. God's always with us, but if you don't experience him, guess what? God's not the one that moved. And he, he removes that disconnect, and we experience times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. God wants to refresh us, even this morning. And we can turn to him and find refreshing in the presence of the Lord. A third thing from this section, we find that Moses understood that the presence of God distinguished him and distinguish God's people from all people on earth. We see in verse 16, Moses says, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses is saying that if I don't have your presence on me in this age, how will anyone know that I am one of yours? The fact that God lives in us and dwells dwells within us and shows himself among us is the only thing that separates us from fallen humanity. And Moses understood this, and he did not have the Holy Spirit inside him. Yet, this truth bears witness today. Have you ever noticed some people that you, some believers that you get around, there's just this sense of peace, and there's this joy, and maybe even you kind of experience God just in their company. I've known people like that throughout my life. And maybe some other people that you're not, you really can't really tell that much of a difference from some of your unsaved friends. You know, and, and the difference is, has nothing to do with their personality or their background or any human characteristic. The difference is that one believer is walking in the Spirit and growing towards Christ's likeness at this moment in time, and the other is not. And the distinguishing feature between the two is the presence of God on their lives. Now, both are saved if they are in Christ. Both are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Both are equally loved by God, and both will be kept by grace and one day see Jesus face to face. But only one is currently growing close to Jesus and walking in the Spirit at that moment in time, and the other has temporarily grown stagnant for a season. 
One is oozing with the presence of God, and people are blessed in their company, and one is not so distinguished by the presence of God. Although God is in there somewhere, there's no real life flowing from them to other people. That's what Moses is talking about. And God says, yes, I'm going to be with you because I have a relationship with you. And so those of us in Christ, God is always with us. He will never leave us. And as we cry out for more of God's presence in our life, we're simply saying, God, make me aware of of you in our midst. God, remove anything in my heart that's creating a disconnect where I do not see you. When we sing all these songs saying, pour out your spirit, we're basically saying, God, God, open my eyes. God, open my heart. God, wreck my life because I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And so the story continues. This will be our last section in verse 18 through 23. Then Moses says, now show me your glory. And the Bible said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord In your presence, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Now Moses has seen everything before this happened. It's 40 years removed that he sees this bush burning in the field, not being consumed, and the living God speaks to him from this bush, sends him down to Egypt. He sees the most epic miracles ever created in all of history. Every frog comes down from Africa and fills up the land of Egypt. The Nile River turns to blood. He sees 10 of these epic miracles. Leads two million Hebrews out of slavery from Egypt towards the promised land and lands flat in front of an ocean. God says, raise your staff in front of it, and the Red Sea begins to divide, and he leads every single one of them through the Red Sea, and the Bible says not one of them drowned. And as the Egyptian army hotly pursues them, they go into the Red Sea, the sea comes back on itself, and the Bible says not one of them survived. And for 40 years, he's wandering in the desert. Bread shows up from heaven to feed two million people. Water flows from a rock. He's seen it all, and he has the audacity to say, show me your glory. There's no arrival in the Christian life on this side of heaven. It's a journey. There's always more. There's so much more God wants to reveal of himself to you. And as Moses learned to walk in the presence of God, God created, put a seed in him, the same seed that he put in every person here today who's trusted in Christ, that seed that germinates and creates this insatiable hunger for God. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. And God, not being one to brag, says, you're not going to be able to take the whole deal. I'm going to show you just a little bit because that's, you know, you just, you can't handle it all. No one's ever seen my face and lives. But I love, I love your heart cry. You can think, see God up there saying, that one wants me. 
I love all of them. I love you, Aaron and Miriam. I love you, Joshua. I love these people over here. These people are stiff-necked, but I love them just as much as I love Moses. I love all of you the same, but that one wants me. And it moved God's heart. And he says, yes, here's what we're going to do, Moses. I know this place not too far away. Let's take a walk. And he goes over and says, I know this little cliff side over here, and I want you to scale this cliff and walk down about 50 feet. You're going to see a little cave on the left, and I want you to stand in there. And I'm going to put my hand over the cave, and when I pass by, as I'm heading off into the distance, I'm going to remove my hand from the cave, and you're going to see a glimpse of me as I'm departing off into the sunset. And this is exactly what happens in the next chapter in, 40, in 34. We're not going to read it. But this is when the Ten Commandments were given a second time, that Moses saw God in bodily form. Maybe just a glimpse of his back as he's leaving, but God says yes. God says yes to a heart like that. He says yes to a cry that says, I want more of you. And that's the beautiful thing. And even in the New Testament, where we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, we see this similar interaction as the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3. I just want to know Jesus. And I think to myself, that if anyone should know Jesus, it's the Apostle Paul. He was at the end of his life, had been walking with God for decades. He had his own desert experience for 14 years where God specifically and directly gave him revelation about the New Testament church. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He planted churches all over Europe. He had suffered greatly for the cause of Christ and had walked intimately God for, with God for decades. And he says, I just want to know Jesus. More precisely, what he says is, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and somehow attained to the resurrection from the dead. He goes on and says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying at the end of his life, like Moses is saying, I just want more of Jesus. I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory in my life, in my family, in my church, and in my community. God creates this insatiable hunger in all of his children if we would just open up our hearts, open up our minds to what he's already made available to us. God cannot do anything more for us than he's already done in the person of Jesus. I just need to pursue Jesus more. And that's the way spiritual life was created on this side of heaven. We're to pursue and to press on in what has already been given to us. We're to run after and chase after what has already been made available to us. There is no arrival on this side of heaven, only a journey. There's more. I don't know how that looks for you. For me personally, I don't really care how it looks as long as it's biblical. 
Someone who is truly hungry and thirsty is not going to be too picky about what nutritious food is being offered. Truly hungry and thirsty stomachs eat the nutritious food and drink that is provided. Truly hungry and thirsty souls just want Jesus. However he chooses to reveal himself, whatever he says to do, when we get to the point where we're at the end of ourselves and say, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I just want more of you in my life. I need your presence. I know you're with me. But God, open up my eyes. Open up my mind. I want to see your glory. To God be the glory. Let's stand. If that's your heart's cry this morning, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to show himself. I don't know what God's going to do, but we're going to ask God to stir in our hearts, to stir in our souls the hunger for Jesus. Some of you, some of you that God's been tugging on your heart to just say, yes, I want to be, I want more of Jesus. Yes, I want to be at the place where he is my only desire. Maybe others of you that God has been speaking to you and maybe that for whatever reason, there's just been a little bit of a coldness or dullness that slipped in and you want to turn back to God. And God says, there's times of refreshing. There's times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord when his children turn to him, turn back to him. If that's your heart this morning and you just want to take a step of faith, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. We're going to pray and ask God to just, just pour out his spirit of refreshment in this place. Just come now. Just come now. If that's your heart, just stand at the front. There's plenty of room up here at the front. You can step out in the aisles. I don't know what God's going to do, but the presence of God is in this place, and he wants to refresh people. He wants to stir within us, to fill us. And I know one thing that's going to happen because we just read about it in Exodus 33. When the presence of the Lord is here, it causes us to worship. So whatever God's going to do this morning, I know it's going to result in glorious praise and worship because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He points us to Jesus. And so God, we just thank you for your presence in this place. We welcome you. We welcome you, Lord Jesus, to move among us however you wish to do. Lord, we just, we just say in unison this morning that we want more of you. We need more of you. We thank you that you're enough, that you've given us everything you could give us in Christ but you've just simply called us to, to pursue you. Ask and it will be given. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come and refresh your people. Let your winds blow. Refresh your people this morning. Touch your people. We need a touch from you. Lord, I ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit for everyone here. Those standing here at the front, God, that, that God, just a fresh filling, a stirring in our souls of an undeniable, unquenchable passion for the person of Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. We worship you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you again for joining us online. We hope you enjoyed the message. To connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on who we are, check out our website, midtownvineyardchurch.com. We'd love to hear from you. Make sure you leave us a review or drop us a comment. Until next time, have a great day.